Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to a History of Egypt podcast mini-episode. This is 30 Years of Khufu? A discussion of the Great Pyramid and recent developments. This episode was written in late 2023. It's been about 10 years since I originally researched and wrote my episode about Khufu and the Great Pyramid of Giza. At the time of writing, I am currently beginning to prepare a remaster of that episode, which will substantially expand the discussion and analysis of the Great Pyramid itself, the complex and monuments surrounding it, and the reign of Khufu and the society in which he lived. There is a lot of information that I did not get around to covering in my original episode, so at the moment I am in the preparation stages of a complete remaster. That will take some time, it's going to be a big project, but for those who are particularly interested in the Old Kingdom, just know that I am working on that. For now, I have some interesting information to share, material that has only come to light in the years since I released my original episode, and this information may substantially impact our assessment of the reign of King Khufu. The year was 2600 BCE, approximately. That's just a ballpark to give us a starting point. At the time, the people of Egypt lived under the rule of Khanum Khufu, the Horus Majedu, the king of southern and northern Egypt. Surprisingly, the reign of King Khufu is quite vague historically. We have little bits and pieces of information that give a sense of what the Egyptian government was doing, but apart from a few small records, some later stories and historical traditions, we really don't know much about Khufu the individual. The man himself, his personality, and his accomplishments as a monarch, those are extremely murky. There are very few records, and even few images of the king himself, so historians must piece together what they can based on tiny scraps of information. One significant problem for Egyptologists is the length of Khufu's reign. We have very few texts or inscriptions that give precise dates of the king's activities and those of his subjects. For historians trying to reconstruct this period, that is a serious problem. It's like we are piecing together a jigsaw, and yet we are completely missing the outline and the borders. And this problem is even more visible when it comes to the king's monuments. Khufu is most famous as the king who commissioned the Great Pyramid the largest pyramid in Egypt, and the dominating symbol of the country and its monumental legacy. The Great Pyramid is truly an awe-inspiring structure. When you stand at its base and gaze up towards the peak, you gain a sense of unbelievable determination, Herculean effort, and sheer royal power. 
It is a monument that stirs different feelings in different people. But one question that most folks have when they see this structure is, how long did it take to build? The Great Pyramid Project, or the Khufu Project as some historians call it, is a matter of debate. The traditional figure, given by the ancient Greek author Herodotus, is that the Great Pyramid took 20 years to build. That is a suspiciously round number, and generally speaking, historians are quite suspicious of any tidy numbers like that when it comes to ancient records. Herodotus claims that this figure was given to him by the guides or the priests who showed him around the Giza necropolis, but it's not clear what their source was or how closely Herodotus questioned it. Nevertheless, that 20-year figure has entered the popular imagination and the general discussion as the kind of standard reference point for the Great Pyramid construction. This is important because it impacts how historians and archaeologists approach the study of the Great Pyramid, how they imagine the duration of the construction, the hours worked by the builders, the number of workers involved in the quarrying, transportation and installation of the stones, not to mention the vast resources needed to maintain, equip and support this gargantuan workforce. Depending how you interpret the Herodotus figure of 20 years, and how you calculate the size of the workforce and the people involved in the various support industries, different historians, archaeologists and commentators can arrive at wildly different figures for the scale of the Khufu project. For some archaeologists, the project itself might seem surprisingly small, as few as 10,000 individuals working on the Giza necropolis at once. For others, the scale might increase dramatically, 100,000 or more involved in all aspects of construction. Again, that is a massive topic that I will explore in greater detail in my remaster of the Great Pyramid episode. But just to illustrate the point, if you accept the Herodotus number, 20 years, as the length of the Great Pyramid construction, that can seriously impact your understanding of the monument and your interpretation or imagination about its construction. Many discussions of the Great Pyramid, especially those found in older sources or sometimes in the online discourse, depend fundamentally on that 20-year figure. That is given to us by Herodotus, and for centuries, it was the classic timescale for the Great Pyramid construction. But of course, the big question is, what if Herodotus was wrong? What if the Great Pyramid did not take 20 years, a nice round figure, to construct? What happens if you change the numbers? In 2023, that is the situation in which Egyptologists now find themselves. Thanks to recent excavations, our sources for the length of King Khufu's reign have changed significantly, and historians must now integrate new information in their reconstructions of the Great Pyramid project. These new pieces of information, and the questions that they raise, are well worth exploring, and for the rest of this episode, we're going to do just that. Around 2600 BCE, in the reign of Khnum Khufu, the Giza Plateau would have been a hive of construction activity. Not just the Great Pyramid itself, but numerous subsidiary and satellite monuments. There were four smaller pyramids, often called the Satellite or Queen's Pyramids, on the eastern edge of the structure. 
there was the king's memorial or mortuary temple on the eastern face of the pyramid itself. There was a long causeway and the valley temple, which connected the Great Pyramid with the banks of the River Nile. There was also a paved courtyard and an enclosure wall that separated the pyramid from the outside world. There were large boat pits that held the deconstructed wooden boats that belonged to King Khufu. Then there were the mastabas, low mud-brick buildings arranged in streets and sort of neighbourhoods on the east and west sides of the monument. What this means is that the Giza Plateau is not just pyramids. There are hundreds of structures arrayed around the plateau, and each of those have their own archaeological and historical tales to tell. In 2020, an archaeological team conducted survey, conservation and excavation work on the eastern side of the Great Pyramid. This was once the location of Khufu's memorial or mortuary temple, a special structure attached to the pyramid that provided a location for offerings, prayers and worship of the deceased ruler. Most pyramids have memorial or mortuary temples, and they are a classic feature of ancient Egyptian tomb building. The Khufu Memorial Temple is almost entirely destroyed today. The only visible pieces that survive are a section of the ancient floor made of basalt, and a couple of stone pillars that once framed a courtyard in the monument. Archaeologists working here have been able to identify the foundations of the Khufu Memorial Temple, and they have been able to reconstruct its outline and ancient appearance. You can see schematics of the temple online, and I'll put a link in the episode description. But to give a basic idea, the memorial temple of Khufu used to be a roughly square building. It had an open courtyard at the centre, with a line of columns around the edges. On the western side, closest to the pyramid, there were storage rooms, and possibly spaces for statues of the king. And there may have been stone stelae, large tablets inscribed with images and hieroglyphs, abutting the pyramid itself and recording or praising the king Khufu. All of these features, the courtyards, the columns, the statues and the stelae, have been found at other pyramid complexes from the 4th dynasty and other periods. So although we do not have a 100% definitive reconstruction of the Khufu temple, the work of the archaeologists at Giza and information provided by other monuments gives us a fairly solid picture. Anyway, in 2020, the archaeological team was working at the memorial temple. They were removing pieces of cement and stone that an earlier generation there had placed as part of a restoration project. That restoration was well-intentioned, but it now got in the way of proper study, conservation and understanding of the building. As part of their work to study and conserve the monument, and protect it from the tourist crowds, the archaeological team removed those pieces of cement and stone. When they did so, the team uncovered something beneath. The 2020 excavation revealed several pieces of limestone. Limestone is fairly common at Giza, it's what the Great Pyramid is made of. But these pieces of limestone were different. For one, they were small. They were not giant blocks like you would associate with construction. These pieces were small, delicate, and more significantly, they were decorated. The team uncovered fragments of the ancient temple art. 
Once upon a time, Khufu's memorial temple would have been brightly decorated with beautiful images showing religious rituals and scenes from the king's life and reign. Again, we know that thanks to other pyramids, excavations at other monuments have uncovered pieces of the ancient memorial temples, causeways, and valley temples associated with the pyramids. Egyptologists have studied these extensively and identified a huge variety of scenes associated with the ancient monuments. There are way too many to discuss, but just as a small example, from the Pyramid of Unas at Saqqara, we have scenes of ships transporting enormous stone columns that would be used in the decorations of the temples. From the Pyramid of Sahure at Abu Sia, we have images of a great trading fleet that sailed down the Red Sea coast to the mysterious land of Punt, and from many of these monuments, we have images of royal officials, religious celebrations, and even soldiers in the Egyptian army. Again, there are too many to discuss. We will address them in future episodes about the Old Kingdom, but if you're interested now, I will provide some references in the description of this episode. Getting back to Giza, the archaeologists working here in 2020 uncovered pieces that originally decorated the memorial temple of Khufu. These were not the first pieces of Khufu decoration to ever be discovered, more on that later, but they were a significant find. For one thing, they came from the temple itself, and they included important scraps of information. The pieces of limestone recovered from the Khufu Memorial Temple showed a variety of motifs. One of them showed the god Horus, or possibly a statue of that god. Another showed a figure of the king or a deity clutching the Ankh, the symbol of life. There were also images of stars portraying the nighttime sky. And one motif had a curious set of buildings. On one wall of Khufu's memorial temple, there used to be an image of shrines. These shrines were made of wood and reeds and arranged in two distinct structures. One form of these shrines had a curved roof over the top as if the ancients had taken bundles of reeds or wood and bent them to form an arch. The other kind were more straight, but with a sort of plume or growth out the top of the building. This is very interesting for Egyptologists, because we know what these shrines are. The shrines with curved roofs and with plumes are a common motif in ancient religious art. They are called the Per Nu and the Per Wer. The Per Nu and Per Wer are shrines related to northern and southern Egypt respectively. They appear frequently in royal Egyptian art, related to religious rituals, festivals and ceremonies, that kind of thing. And they are often associated with the king's Sed festival. The Sed festival was a royal jubilee, a commemoration of a king's reign, and a ceremony to reinvigorate or renew his power and authority. Traditionally, the Sed festival seems to have taken place every 30 years, with more frequent renewals after that. That's not a hard and fast rule, but it's a general trend among the ancient Egyptian kings. A Sed festival occurred around year 30, and then if the king lived and ruled longer, he might repeat them in subsequent years. The presence of these shrines and some of the other motifs and hieroglyphs on the newly discovered blocks suggest, tentatively, that Khufu's memorial temple originally had a scene of the king's Sed festival. That idea is not brand new. Other pieces of Khufu's memorial decoration 
do show elements that might relate to a said festival. I'll come back to those a bit later, but for now, it's enough to know that excavations in 2020 recovered new pieces that seemed to show elements of that celebration, and when we combine those with earlier excavations, it seems quite likely that Khufu's memorial temple had a scene of the royal jubilee. Of course, art is not reality, especially in the ancient world. King Khufu could easily have commissioned scenes of his royal jubilee, but not actually lived long enough to enact the real thing. So while this discovery is fascinating, and it adds some important information to the overall picture, we need to go further to enhance our understanding of Khufu's later years. This is where the second two discoveries come into play. In 2015, another team was working on the Giza Plateau. This team came from the Waseda University in Japan, and they were studying the second of the Khufu boat pits. You may know about the great solar boat of Khufu that was discovered next to the Great Pyramid, painstakingly excavated, and then reconstructed. Well, the Great Pyramid actually has a second one of these boats in another pit. That pit is currently being excavated by scientists from Waseda University. They have not yet published their full results, the project is ongoing, but some of their discoveries have been published in Egyptological works. In particular, the team has discovered and recorded a series of texts. Throughout the boat pits, there are mason's marks, created by the ancient stone workers as they installed blocks of limestone to line the walls of the pit and provide stability. These marks are usually written in red ink, painted on with a brush when the builders were installing each particular block. Many of these texts were generic, they just record the name of the gang or work team that is responsible for the particular block. But among the various inscriptions, the team from Waseda has identified some dates. One of the mason's marks includes a text from the reign of Khufu. It records the installation of a block in the year of the 14th occasion, the first month of Shemu. That is the ancient Egyptian version of a date. The first month of Shemu is the first month in the season of Shemu. It roughly corresponds to April in the Western Gregorian calendar. The reference to the 14th cattle count, or the 14th occasion, is an interesting one. From the Old Kingdom, historians have many references to an event called the Cattle Count. This was the ancient Egyptian version of a census. It seems to have involved royal officials travelling throughout the country to assess the size of the cattle herds that were grazing in different parts of the land. During the Old Kingdom, this was one of the standard ways to measure wealth. The richer you were, the more cattle you were able to support and feed. And for the royal government, a regular counting of the cattle herds was a very easy way to measure the wealth of the kingdom over time. Were the herds increasing or decreasing? How many resources did the king have at his command? Historically speaking, the cattle count seems to have occurred every two years. Again, that wasn't exactly set in stone, and there is some evidence for the occasional variation. But, roughly speaking, two years is a good rule of thumb. In that sense, a reference to the 14th occasion, the 14th cattle count, on the wall of a boat pit next to the Great Pyramid is an extremely interesting find. And if the cattle count in the reign of Khufu was every two years, 
That would mean these blocks were going into the pit during year 28 of the king's reign. Now, to be clear, historians and Egyptologists still have a lot of work to do on these particular records, and this is by no means definitive. But on the evidence we have, and previous scholarship related to ancient Egyptian administration and records, every two years seems to be the most likely rhythm for the cattle count. And so it's a very strong bet that these blocks are recording the 28th year of Khufu. This is significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, it gives us a rough date for the construction of the boat pits, and it helps to clarify the possibility that King Khufu actually reigned for almost 30 years. The discovery of the Mason's Marks by a team from Waseda University is very significant on its own merits, but it's even more important because it complements a find from just a few years earlier. This is where our third piece of evidence comes into play. In 2013, a French expedition near the Red Sea uncovered the famous Wadi al-Jaf papyri. Also known as the Diary of Merer, the Wadi al-Jaf papyri date to the reign of Khufu, and they record construction work related to the Giza project. I have discussed the Diary of Merer previously in episode 6b, but one interesting feature of those papyri is that they provide another date for King Khufu's reign. Among the scraps of papyrus discovered by the French expedition, there was a reference to the 13th occasion of the cattle count, more specifically, the year after the 13th occasion. That would correspond to year 27 of King Hufu's reign. The discovery of the Wadi al-Jaf papyri, just a couple of years before the work at Giza, further solidifies the idea that King Khufu actually reigned much longer than we thought. For one thing, when we combine both of these records, that provides much greater certainty that the cattle count did happen every two years during the reign of Khufu. If the cattle count happened every year, for example, then the Wadi al-Jaf reference to the year after the 13th cattle count would be the same year as the 14th cattle count. That might work in a scenario in which the 13th cattle count was the last of Khufu's reign, that he died shortly after. But now, thanks to the discovery at Giza, we know that there was in fact a 14th cattle count. Chronologically speaking, this must mean that the cattle count was every two years. To have a record of the 13th occasion, the year after the 13th occasion, and then the 14th occasion, there must be a year in between. So, by fortunate happenstance, we may have confirmation of that chronology. On this basis, it seems likely that Khufu reigned at least 28 years. By themselves, these two historical records from the Wadi al-Jaf and the Giza boat pit fundamentally change our picture of King Khufu's reign and the construction of the Great Pyramid. At the very least, the record of construction work happening at Giza in years 27 and 28 suggests that the timeline for work on the Great Pyramid and its complex is at least 28 years. That is significant, it is a full 40% increase on the dates provided by Herodotus. That will fundamentally change our picture of the construction process. How long it took to build the pyramid and its surrounding monuments, how many people may have been involved, and the overall scale of the Great Pyramid Project, 
For anyone interested in the Old Kingdom, the reign of Khufu, or the pyramid itself, these are essential pieces of information. Again, none of this is definitive just yet. The Wadi al-Jaf papyri are still undergoing examination and full publication. The team from Wasita University is still working on the second boat pit of Khufu, and it may be some time before they are able to fully publish their results. And while the fragments of decoration from Khufu's memorial temple suggest that the king had images of a said festival, there is still a great deal of work to be done both in excavation, archival work, and restoration and study. In short, the examination of Khufu's reign is still a work in progress, but in the past 10 years, it has changed dramatically from what we earlier might have assumed. These are exciting times indeed. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. By simply listening to the show, you are contributing in a meaningful way and helping me to pursue this podcast as my full-time work. I am most grateful that you have joined me. I would also like to thank the priests, my top-tier supporters on patreon.com. These fine folks are responsible for the divine offerings, the sort of celebrations that would have taken place in Khufu's memorial temple. I would especially like to thank Veronica, Mykost, Ashley, Yola, TJ, Naden, Kyla, Terry, Evan, Andy and Chelsea, and Linda. Folks, you are all too generous. May you enjoy a multitude of said festivals, and may the great gods smile upon your reign, providing blessings and reinvigoration as you journey through life. To everyone listening, thank you for joining me. I will see you soon. What did it take to survive an ancient siege? Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts.